On this week's episode of LAOFCS Weekly, we're talking Annabelle, we're talking the Beatles, and we're talking about the mid-season nominations. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to LAOFCS Weekly. This is a brand new episode. We are talking about two of the biggest releases of the weekend. I don't know if they're really going to be the biggest releases of the weekend uh, in terms of the (laughs) box office. Um, But then we're going to also switch gears. We're going to talk a little bit about our mid-season nominees. We're going to talk about the box office not doing too hot. And maybe some streaming picks later on in the episode. But before we jump in, I, of course, am Scott Menzel, uh, the founder of the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society. And joining me today is a uh, longtime member of the organization, Mrs. Stacy Lane Wilson. Hello. <laughs> How are you, Stacey? I'm good. I'm not a missus. Did I get married recently? You sure did. <laughs> I missed did. my own wedding, I guess. <laughs> Some people are late for their own wedding. She missed it completely. I didn't even know what happened. <laughs> um, so where can they find you, Stacey? Um, at home in Hollywood and, of course, the illustrious We Live Entertainment. Yes. I think Dimitri is also brand new to uh, We Live Entertainment this week. Yes, yes, with the lovely, it's a, with with the review that people will find to be very delightful on Spider Man Far From Home or Stay at Home, Far, yeah. Far From Home. So yes, you can find me here on Popcorn Talk Network's LAOFCS uh, Weekly. Thank you for having me on board this week, and also on Popcorn Talk Network's Meet the Movie Press, and working on another couple of shows for Popcorn Top Network. Yeah. And upcoming. And some of them may tie into this show a little bit. Yes. Who knows? So, um, you know, we got a lot to go through on this show. Um, and it, it, this is going to be a very fascinating episode for those who have not um, seen this show or those who have seen this show many times before. Because you know that we start off with our movie pick of the week. And uh, this week on the show, just spoiler alert, uh, all three of us didn't quite care for the movie pick of the week, even though it got the majority votes. So that'll be interesting. Yes, it did. did this? Yeah, I know. I didn't vote. That's not fair. (laughs) What is going on? I don't know. Do we get a drum roll? We do, but we're gonna go. We're gonna talk about the one that we actually liked more, even though it did not get the critic pick of the week first. And that, of course, is uh, Annabelle comes home. Uh, I would like to start with Stacy. Yeah, I did really like it. I've been following the Conjuring universe films since horror is kind of my forte. So I do think that Annabelle Comes Home is actually the best of the lot, which is a little unusual considering the fact that, uh, you know, the franchise films often are, there's a case of diminishing returns as the movies go on, but this one is actually the best. It's a really good contained haunted house thriller that stands alone, too, if you have not seen the other Annabelle films. Yeah. Uh, Dimitri, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I liked it a lot as well. I I think um, something about the Annabelle movies that that can be said about the Annabelle movies is that each one is a different movie. They're they're all horror, of course, but they're 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 different in their in the way that they're directed and the way the story what the story's about. Um, I was a really I did not like the first Annabelle at all. It, it, It tried. Way too hard to deliver scares, uh, but creation I thought was really very well done. It's probably of that series. It's still it's still my favorite. And walking into um, Annabelle Comes Home had high expectations, 
And really, it delivered for me. I ended up walking out of the theater enjoying the movie more uh, than expected. Uh, Gary Doberman, first time in the director's chair, I think he did a really good job. Uh, It had this Carpenter-esque slow boil. So where we have, you had a really good setup right at the beginning, uh, and the Warrens are in it, which is really a nice, beautiful tie-in. But then the middle you're meeting the characters that you're really going to be spending this time with. And there are these three lovely, great, talented actresses uh, who really carry this movie on their shoulders. And the writing does them great service because they're not dumb teenagers who just hap along and do the wrong things. There's a reason why one character in particular does the wrong thing and you find out through dialogue or exposition mm-hmm. why and you buy it. But in an organic way. It was it's very organic. Yeah. No, and and I and I ended up in, in liking all of these characters. So in a horror movie, that's important because it raises the stakes. I wanted every single one of them to make it towards the end. And once it does that, once it rounded the corner of that second act and went right down that third act straight away, boy howdy, Doberman ratcheted up the tension, the suspense, the scares, and the creep factor. I was riveted, and I really I liked it a lot. Scott, you and I talked about the end. There's some emotional beats that I look. I'm a schmaltzy guy. I bought it. I loved. Mm-hmm. I loved some closure, especially with the Daniela Rios, um, uh, uh, McKenna Grace. That that was fantastic. She is, yeah. The movie was really good. I put it right below Annabelle Creation. Um, it is short on story, but I think that's part of what makes it good. It's very simple to follow. Uh-huh. I didn't yeah, even think not, about it as being a standalone, but you can watch it without exactly. watching the other and two. And it's not just Annabelle. They're, she has friends. Yes, she does. <laughs> Angry, malevolent friends. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed it, too. I thought from a horror standpoint and also a character study. And also, I'm kind of a sucker for the 1970s uh, you know, a setting, so they did a great job with the set design and the costumes and the music without making it a caricature. You know, it's very believable setting, mm-hmm. too. I think I think it was nice to see Gary kind of step away from just doing the writing and actually mm-hmm. kind of dive into this world a little bit because he's been attached to it for about four or five projects now, mm-hmm. working alongside James Wan, uh, David F. Sandberg. You know, there's he's been he's been in this universe for a while, and you know he's he's proven to be one of the most sought after writers in Hollywood right now when it comes to genre films. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's he's attached to Salem Lot. Um, Are You Afraid of the Dark? He's, you know, of course, It It. Chapter 2. So, you know, it's nice to kind of see him step back and do something a little bit different. And uh, I'm glad you pointed this out, Stacey, because we didn't mention this on the other show. It is a great standalone movie. And I think that's what I appreciated the most about it, was that you didn't have to see the other films in order to understand what was going on. Correct, yeah. In the Conjuring films, there is a lot of mythology. So, uh, you know, if anyone is concerned about not having seen the first two, you can dive right in uh, this weekend with Annabelle Comes Home. And what was really cool is if you have seen the Conjuring movies, particularly the first one, the first one opens up with where... Annabelle Comes Home starts. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, that's like true. Like, with, with the Annabelle doll. So it's like, oh, this is really nice. And then 
you know, but when they were like, okay, no, we're going to take the doll, and they just put the doll in the back seat. I said, oh, <laughs> I know, I thought, no, put her in the trunk. <laughs> no good can come of this, and oh, we stopped at a cemetery. You know. Yeah. They had <laughs> fun was, with, you know. You know, the, they, the did. Yeah, they did. They did. Sure. And again, I really love seeing Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga together in mm-hmm. the role of the Warrens. They've really come to accept these roles and love these roles. And they took a back seat here. I mean, they're in the movie, but they're definitely support. They bookend mm-hmm. the movie. The, the, they, they really let this movie rest on these three teenage girls who I thought were fantastic. And they real each one of them in their own way was strong, especially McKenna Grace. I mean, to put a to put a child like in these horrific environments, she was great, and she was telling what the older kids. What to do or maybe not to do. She <laughs> yeah. was, I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's very believable. Yeah, I think, uh, I, you know, it's kind of funny because this was a movie that I walked out of. Uh, I saw it about two weeks ago. And, um, you know, I didn't love it initially, but it was one of those movies that the more I thought about it, the more I appreciated it. And I, I took it for what it was, and I, you know, I have an interview that where I talked with Gary about the film and I was honest about him that I thought the, the story was a little bit too simplistic and you know he basically said that was part of his intention and things of that nature and I think you know sometimes knowing this and having the opportunity to read things or speak with someone you kind of see a new perspective right. so um, my, my, my rating for this one moved up as opposed to with most movies where I feel like they move down as time <laughs> goes on um, you know, that being said, I think we need to jump into the, the, the official movie pick of the week, which, <laughs> which, which unfortunately, you know, uh, no shade to, you know, the, the studio, you know, because obviously a lot of our members really uh, uh, liked this movie and enjoyed it, and to each their own, and that's the best part of film criticism, and that's part of the LA OFCS message, is that we're supposed to be a diverse crit- critics group with various opinions. Mm-hmm. So, this is a panel where... People are not going to speak that highly of it, but there's about 14 or 15 other members who completely enjoyed this film. So good, you know, kudos to them. Um, you know, this movie, I think for me and and you guys chime in, you know, was something that I was really looking forward to. Uh, Richard Curtis fan, Danny Boyle fan, Beatles fan. You know, you can't go wrong. And I'll even throw in Lily, Lily James into the mix because I really love her. Um, so, you know, I got four things that I'm really excited about seeing with this movie. The trailer does a great job of selling it. And it is not good. It is really not good. It fails to live up to its intriguing... It's an intriguing concept. Um, you know, Stacey, tell, tell me your initial thoughts, because I know you, you, not only you love horror, you love music. Yeah, I definitely am a, a, a real fan of music biographies and any uh, movie that kind of takes uh, music and uses it as, as a subject. And this, I thought, was a fantastic idea, because I love what-if stories, you know, or alternate history stories. And the setup is that um, an aspiring musician in a small 
English seaside town is not really succeeding at all. And uh, so he decides to give it all up. And and at that moment, there's kind of a a global uh, uh, blackout and he gets hit by a bus. And then when he wakes up in the hospital, he's the only one who remembers the Beatles. And so what would anyone in his position do but start, you know, playing the songs? And he becomes a success. And but then it's like no one in the world remembers the Beatles, which I thought was kind of an interesting premise. But then they don't really expand on that. Then about mm, a little less than halfway through the film, it becomes a a very cliched romantic comedy. And unfortunately, from there, it even goes more downhill. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I think with the romantic comedy aspect, considering Richard Curtis is so well known for creating such rich romantic comedies, and even in a lot of ways with Love Actually kind of poking fun at the different types of storylines, it's almost baffling to me that he wrote this movie. Because it's like he doesn't realize that he's taking on every single cliche and doing nothing new with it. Right, and Danny Boyle does nothing with his trademark visual audacity at all. Very safe. Yeah, I mean, I thought his direction was fine. Richard Curtis's dialogue was there sparingly. uh, um, And I I found the charm in the two leads. You know how much I love Lily James. I'm I'm, I'm not... I'm abashedly open about how much I really appreciate her as an actress and an on-screen presence. It was just a squandered opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just don't know to who the audience is. Because, you know, it really negates Beatles' history as to what they meant to music. And how music was consumed then... And how music is consumed today are two extremely polar opposites. And I'm not entirely sure like the, if the Beatles today, if that music today would be the hit that this movie was portraying it to. And right. they were saying it was because of the writing, because they're such great songs. And it's like the Beatles were more than that. It was, it was the arrangement. It was the flashpoint in time for when they came out and what they ended up influencing there were better opportunities and better things to do. Like, why not try to find the Beatles? Like, why not try to find the band members and say and well, get yeah. the band together again <laughs> well, there were some for the first time? Real plot holes in there, and <laughs> and very strange. Um, almost double standards you know they changed the lyrics and some of the songs to be more politically correct but then they still have you know i saw her standing there she was just 17 you know that wouldn't fly today <laughs> so oh. that one becomes the hit but then they change like <laughs> uh hey jude to hey dude and i, I don't know i mean i, I wish they would have k- taken an idea and stuck with it and carried through with it i'm probably. glad you mentioned the hey jude to hey dude and the, and again that just goes to what i had even said in my review is that people wouldn't Today's younger crowd, like, again, they don't care about the Beatles. They don't, because they don't, they, the way they consume their music by singles, the Beatles were really about, as not just the Beatles, but everybody, it was about the album. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I did this, I even wrote in my review. So, think about this. So, if you're listening today, if the album Revolver came out today, how do you think kids would feel about you get to the middle of that album and then the the song Yellow Submarine pops up out of nowhere? Uh, yeah. Which is a great song. I love it, but they 
what the hell is right, that? Yeah. We all live They'd in a yellow... So- pick yeah. and choose three songs on their playlist Maybe. and never listen to the other ones. Yeah, Maybe. exactly. So it was really about how songs were placed in their albums. Sgt. Pepper's is a concept album, as well as what Yellow Submarine became. Right. I mean, why bother using the Beatles for this? They're not going to carry through with the concept. Mm -hmm. I mean, that had to be a pretty expensive catalog, right? Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't even know. Like, yeah, for the rights to the music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I mean, what's so upsetting to me, and kind of Dimitri uh, chimed in on this a little bit, is the fact that you have this story and this man who is so in love with the Beatles, right? And then, like, right away, there's this strange, like, coincidence that he's playing the song and if someone asks him like oh you wrote that song i never heard it before and it stops at a google search like in what world would you just say you know what all right google says it doesn't exist let me move on with my time (laughs) like it's and it's so bizarre and we you know and i don't know if this is a spoiler but there's there's two other characters who wind up showing up later in the movie who somehow remember and yet you're wondering to yourself, like, what's their story? What mm-hmm. happened to them? Like, right. why do they remember? Yeah, I would have much rather had the sci-fi elements played up than the romantic comedy elements, because that's so common. We have that already so many in so many other films. Yeah, and, I, and again, their chemistry was great, Yeah, right? But when you talked about those two people, what are their ages? Yeah. Like, it would have been more interesting to me had they been much younger. But again, that's why I'm like, I struggle to know, who's this movie going out to? And again, it sets up a premise within the first ten minutes of the movie. And then, so so there's an admission at the beginning of the movie, who the hell are the Beatles? Or, or I didn't write the song, right? It, and people are like, what? And then there's an admission towards the end of the movie where everybody buys the admission. Like, everybody buys oh, right. the admission. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. Well, it's all wrapped up very yeah, quickly. Like, you can't, you can't. Not accept the admission at the beginning and then have people pretend that they know who he's talking about when he mentions these people by name and they're going, Son of a bitch, you stole their music? And it's like, Well, but you don't know who they are, right? Right, right. And I'm like, That bothered me. And I love, I love the fact that they even put this in the trailer and like it's a, you know, a big part of the twist in the trailer is there's that that, that scene where he's supposedly on, what is it, James Corden, right? right? And it's like, and he, somebody in the audience calls him out because there's someone in the audience who says you didn't write this music. And they have that scene in the movie. And it just like just appears and disappears. Like it was like, what is going on here? Like I I don't even understand why this was in this. Yeah, I think was it was, that was his imagination, dreading that that might actually happen. But it but was not. But found out as a fraud. Not very know. well done because it no. wasn't the. A lot of the ideas were pretty half baked. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this is a movie where I think, like, the idea, like, halfway through, it literally feels like someone threw their hands up in the air and said, <laughs> oh, man, I, don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. And that is the LAOFCS <laughs> Weekly Movie of Pick of the Week. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, it happens sometimes. Well, speaking has of, it happened? It has. It happened. I think once or twice before. Wow. Okay. Where like we were on the show and it was like the whole panel did not agree with it. I can't remember what it was. Um, <laughs> I think one was Detective Pikachu, which I actually liked, but um, I wasn't on that week week's episode. But everyone on the panel did not like it. And then there was one other one. I can't remember what it was. Nice. But it was All me right. and Jana and someone else. I can remember that. Uh, If you know, let us know in the comments box below, please. Um, 
Kind of moving on from there, you know, we're, we're I know Stacy, you, you you admitted you you have not been following the news on this, but it's okay. <laughs> we'll fill you in a little bit. Hey, I'm more a creative type. I'm yeah. not about the bottom line. <laughs> so uh, the bottom line is is basically Disney is winning, and uh, everyone else is losing big time. Um, and there's even some doubts if Disney is winning uh, per the box office last week with Toy Story four not opening as high as they expected. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I, I know this is where part of the show is that we talk about things that are going on in the industry, and I think this is a big topic. Um, you know, we're not going to spend too much time on it, but um, I, I think what it is right now is is there's just an oversaturation of the same exact type of material coming in and out, in and out, in and out. There's there's so many remakes and so many sequels and so many movies that you know are for the same audience and there's not a lot of variety and then the movies that have the variety are kind of you know fighting for screens they're fighting for marketing they're you know trailer placement theater placement everything and i just feel like movies like late night and book smart and um long shot just can't find their footing anymore. It's hard. And, you know, something else interesting um, is happening, I believe it's this week, where uh, they're re-releasing uh, Avengers Endgame. Hmm. I believe that's yeah, this that's week, this right? Week, yeah. So they're re-releasing Avengers Endgame, and I, I, I've said this before, I think the only reason why Disney is able to get away with this is because other big franchise pictures like their own Dark Phoenix is just losing so many screens because they're disappointing. Um, Not just to movie-going audiences, but from a box office perspective. So it's like, well, you know, it's technically our movie. We can pull it, or we've already losing screens, but we can repopulate those screens with Avengers Endgame and add additional footage and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know. I haven't looked. And I, and I think uh, Box Office Mojo may have the information about how many locations they're going to open up at. You know, so it could crack the top ten, conceivably, which would be really kind of sad and funny at the same time. Yeah. But, you know, we're looking at a summer that is. It, it's, it's really odd. Uh, it's been very meh. Or disappointing, and of all of the franchises, me personally, the only one that I really had a good time with a franchise picture outside of uh, outside of Annabelle that we were talking about, but that's smaller. For me, it was Godzilla. I mean, Godzilla to me delivered the goods of what a Godzilla movie should be, but everything else, like Men in Black, meh. We talked I mean, about and, Dark Phoenix and, and the the reaction to Godzilla. I know you loved it, but I mean, it, I had a very <clears throat> mediocre vibe right. from it, and I think a lot of the people mm-hmm. felt the same way. They did, and obviously, box office. You know, there was a huge conversation about this. the The second week after Godzilla came out, there was talks about pushing back Kong versus Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And whether or not they were going to release it at the same time or they push it back and then apparently they screen some footage and people went nuts and then they're like, okay, we'll keep the date. Right. But, you know, this is a, it's an interesting uh, problem that's going on right now um, where I see that everyone's competing with one major player who's taking the money. And then on top of which, that major <clears throat> player is also ultimately 
undercutting themselves in a weird way, right? So they're complaining that um, Toy Story 4 underperformed, and yet here we are, this entire week, all I heard on the radio, oh, CN game again. And it's like, it's the same studio. It's yeah. the same studio. Yeah. They're competing against themselves. And, and, and yeah. the other interesting thing, though, to note is that uh, Toy Story 4, one of my favorite movies of the year. So nine. Okay, so we just got the news. Avengers re-release will be on 950 screens across country. Okay. In today's world, that that is a small release. Uh, it's just, I mean, literally, it's shy of a thousand, right? <clears throat> so you know, I think it opened up in 4,500 <laughs> locations. 950 is not too shabby. Uh, considering it's going to fall right into uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. But what I was going to say about Toy Story 4, which, again, one of my favorite movies of the year, that is a franchise picture or a tentpole picture that delivered, it performed, it underperformed 40 to $60 million, still doing 118. So what you're hearing is, and it's a great kind of spin, if you want to put it that way, is, but it still did $118 million. That's fantastic. Any other movie that comes out that underperformed forty to sixty million dollars, people would be calling it a flop. Yeah, I mean, forty to forty to sixty million is a lot. Oh, wait, there's a change, guys. I actually got a fact check. Uh, so okay. it, it was actually in nine hundred and fifty <clears throat> theaters this week, and today they're adding a thousand more screens, so it'll be 1,950. Yeah, that's a wide release. Yeah. That, that's that's a wide release. Hmm. So, yeah, that's that's huge, and they probably swapped out those other 950 Ooh, to get the new... Dark Phoenix. Well, well, yeah, it was that's Dark Phoenix, and they probably swapped out those other 950 that were on screen with this new version that has additional footage. So 1950. That's just shy of two thousand. That's a wide release. That's a wide release for, you know, uh, an Annapurna. Yeah, it is. Or, you know, so yeah. they're taking those screens to lead right into Spider-Man Far From Home. It's crazy. I've never really seen a. Re- I haven't seen a re-release in a long time. What that big? Well, especially that big. So uh, especially since the movie came out in April. And the movie is coming out digitally in July, and I think on hard form like Blu-ray in August. So that's crazy to me. But I think again, if it had been a robust summer, they wouldn't be able to do this. Yeah. If Dark Phoenix performed, if Men in Black International were performing, you wouldn't. You know, exhibitors would be saying, "No way! I'm not giving up my screens for that. I don't care who you are. You just had Toy Story four. You're having Lion King in in two weeks. You're gonna have me crowbar a movie that came in that's broken every box office record. You guys are being greedy." And exhibitors would say, "F you." Summer. The point of the conversation is not doing that great, and exhibitors are going, "Okay, <laughs> okay, we'll take it, mm-hmm. we'll take it." Stacy, you have anything to chime in before we uh, switch gears? I think we should switch gears. You think we should switch <laughs> gears? Okay, all right, sounds good. Um, so, uh, real quick, we 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 have it in the title, so we definitely should just do this real quick. Um, is there something uh, you guys have seen recently on streaming, whether it be a TV show, a movie, that you would recommend? 
Oh, definitely. Um, I really liked Lords of Chaos, which is on Amazon Prime right now, and it's a um, music-themed movie. It's based on a true story um, about murder and mayhem in the 1980s in the in the Scandinavian black metal wow. world, and Rory Culkin is amazing in it. It's really, really well done. It's very dark, definitely unflinching violence, um, but it's one of the most um, creative and interesting and informative movies I've seen in a long time. Great. How about for you? For me, recently, it's been a, an anthology series on Netflix. I believe it's called Love, Robots, and Death. Um, it's produced by David Fincher and Tim Miller. And the the sort of backstory behind it is um, David Fincher wanted to bring back heavy metal, which I, I remember growing up in the 70s and 80s, the heavy metal magazine and the movie, mm-hmm. which, which is on Blu-ray. It's it's a different kind of animated movie. It's not. It's definitely not Pixar in theme and in animation. <laughs> this is true. But it's really. I, I really like it. I enjoy it a lot. They couldn't get the rights, but they decided to plow forward anyway. So it's called Love Robots and or Sex Robots and Death. Love robots and death. Love death and robots. That's it. So. <laughs> it doesn't and matter what order you can mix it, and match. Well, it's it's animated. It's all animated. Uh-huh. Each episode is about fifteen minutes long, and it has each episode has almost like this Twilight Zone twist mm-hmm. at the end. The animation is different on each episode. The stories vary and are different. Some are violent. There is it's everything that it was in heavy metal, heavy sex, heavy violence, and some science fiction element. Mm-hmm. So I've been loving it, and it's really easy to. That's a really easy show to binge because each episode's about fifteen minutes long, and I just read that it got picked up for a second oh, season. Okay. So I'm extremely excited about that because it's it's different. It's just something different on TV. Yeah. It's really solid. It's very rated R. Well, I hope well, they find some female directors, though, for season two. Don't they have 18 episodes and not one? They couldn't find one female director? I thought... Really? Yeah. You, you could be right so. I think on that's that. right. That's yeah. Jesus. So, Mr. Fincher... <laughs> we have someone. Some. Oh, not me. <laughs> Why not? You don't want to do it? You don't want to direct an animated 15-minute... Oh, well, I Come can on. do that. You sure. could do it. Yeah. Sure. I think so. <laughs> we'll start the petition right after this. Yes. Um, you know, before, you know, as as we eagerly wait the um, Stranger Things Season 3, which I'm super duper excited for. I mean, you talk about a marketing campaign. Those guys over at Netflix know how to market, you know, their TV series. They don't know how to market their movies all that well, but in terms of their TV shows, That's they true. know how to yeah. really sell something. And that, that campaign is amazing, so I'm mm-hmm. so excited to see that as it, uh, you know, debuts this this upcoming week. I think it's on the 3rd or the 4th. I, th- I think it is the 4th. Yeah, on the 4th. So I'm going to be very excited to run through all those episodes but uh i think i think our 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 man in the sound booth is with me um i'm going to uh also um say a shout out to always be my maybe um because (laughs) because uh ryan and i and i and i think this is something that a lot of people have been agreeing on is that netflix in terms of their film film library has not done very well. Let's just put it that way. Outside of uh, 
a bird box, which I think was a, a, a unexpected big hit for them. Most of the other movies that have done fairly well have been these romantic comedies. Hmm. And as we talk about yesterday and how the romantic elements of that movie kind of make you dislike the film, I feel like with Netflix they found the formula of making a great almost not even just teen but just like a regular romantic comedy great again um in the past i've recommended movies like set it up um saris burgess is a loser things of that nature but this always be my maybe and i'm going to go on the record and say this i think this movie is better than crazy rich asians i think this movie uh you know has very likable uh a very likable cast i think they have this wonderful cameo with Keanu Reeves in this, where unlike yesterday, where we have Ed Sheeran in that movie, and it becomes obnoxious the way that he throws himself into that movie, and like his jokes of like, oh, his exaggerated version of himself. Keanu Reeves, on the other hand, is just playing this for shits and giggles, and is just embracing every aspect of it by making jokes like, I'll use my John Wick money to pay for dinner, and things of that nature. And, uh, man, it really just kind of keeps reinforcing how much of a likable guy Keanu Reeves is. But back to representation in Almost Be My Maybe, this movie just feels very authentic and realistic. And I love the two leads, and I think they have great chemistry. It's it's uh, Ali Wong and Randall Park, and uh, the two of them just really go back and forth really nicely. I think it's a great movie that's me, now streaming on Netflix. So let me ask you something. Why do you think a movie like that would, like, do you think it would have, why do you think it wouldn't have been released theatrically? Is it of theatrical quality? I mean... I think so. I mean, <clears throat> in this political climate that we're in right now, I think it would do really well. Um, I know, Dimitri, you're very big on this, and I, you know, I, I, I agree with you on, on certain extents, too, is that you know, Netflix, I think, needs to find find that middle ground. Right. You know, not all their movies should go on the big screen, but some of them should. Could this have been one that yes. you think would have worked I on think, the big screen? I think so. And I'm surprised after learning the success of something like um, A Bird Box, where I think that movie could have came out and they put that in the, in the box office. That would have made an easy 50 to $70 million. I you think. think so. I do. See, because that was my big, one of my biggest problems with Bird Box is like, if I saw this at the theater, I would have been pissed because it doesn't look like a movie. It doesn't look like a theatrical movie. It looked like something I'd see on Netflix. Uh-huh. That was my biggest problem with that movie, Bright too, which was oh, like, Bright was just garbage. Oh, that was garbage. Yeah. Right, but if you saw that in a on a big screen in the dark, you'd be like, "What? This is a piece <laughs> exactly. of garbage." Yeah. So. Remember what the secondary market used to be, and they still do this today. Where 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 they'll make a movie to go direct to video. It used to be called direct to video. Now mm-hmm. it could be direct to streaming. Yeah. So, you know, now today with the Netflix, Amazon Prime, you find that secondary market to be much op- much more wider. There are way more eyeballs. So, but to your point that Netflix is really focusing on the romantic comedy because they have noticed that box office wise romantic comedies struggle which is like I don't understand why they're so hard but they seem to be very hard to make good ones and I was wondering like God if this is as good now on your recommend I'm going to watch this probably this weekend 
going, we could have used this at the box office. Mm. It could be filling in in the summer. And especially when you see about how crazy rich Asians did. And that movie was supposed to go to Netflix. But they took a risk. And look, look at all the benefits they gained. To your further point, if Netflix took the risk, right, their benefit and gain, you know, you don't know. They could be leaving money on the table by releasing it here. Because we never know what these movies we don't. do. Right. Well, Velvet Buzzsaw was a Netflix film, but um, Tony Gilro- Gilroy is yeah, the yeah. director. Yeah. Um, Nightcrawler was amazing. And that was a great big screen film to mm-hmm. watch. And this was his follow-up to that. And I was surprised when it went straight to sc- streaming. Because I would have gone to see that on the big screen. Do you think other people would have went to go see that one, though? No, just me. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw that at Sundance, and I'm like, and I saw like a lot of people walk out of that, and I was kind of like, it is a very bizarre film. I liked it. Though. I like it. I yeah. love it. You know, it, but it's freaking but yeah, bizarre. It's not for everyone. Like, Jake is so good in that too. Oh my god, he's he's, he's yeah yeah. It's just so funny that movie, and I mean it's. It's dark. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, that is satire to, like, mm-hmm. the nth degree yeah. of how much satire that movie is. And it's not for everyone. I mean, but, yeah, see, that's a movie where, like, I just feel like if they release that in a theater, like, you, me, and, like, our film lovers, you <laughs> right. know, would go see it. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of like how I feel about almost 90% of what A24 releases. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, like Midsummer, you know, we don't know how that's going to do. No, I don't know Not if that's going to do well <laughs> at all. All right, moving <laughs> on. Uh, we just wanted to go through real quick. Um, you know, we we just announced um, online uh, social media press release went out. Uh, mid-season awards this is our second year doing it. Um, again, the reason why we started doing this, uh, we're we're an organization that does not just want to pop up around award season. We, we do this show. We do daily critic picks. We do movie picks of the week. Um, and we decided to also do a mid-season kind of like award show. There's no there's no actual show associated with this, but we do our, our nominees, and then we'll have our uh, actual winners list on Monday. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a smaller categories. We have, we have about 12 categories with this. Um, you know, you looked. Everyone looked over this pretty much. I looked over this last night. I got, got to put this list together. Um, anything that jumps out at you guys about this list? For me, well, ladies first. Oh, well, I okay. just say that you know the not much to. I mean, there were a lot of films, but when I was voting, I was kind of struggling. Like, geez, there's really like it's kind of the Hobson's choice of movies. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh my god, what do I pick here? I don't know. I mean, I liked, you know, one of our best movies is Rocket Man, which I enjoyed, but you know, not as much as Bohemian Rhapsody and Us, which I liked, but not as much as Get Out. So it seems like a lot of things are kind of, you know, step down, step down a little bit. Yeah, so far for me, there, you know, the 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 com- one common theme is Booksmart, Booksmart, and at least for me, I mean, look, I, I did love Toy Story four, but Booksmart. Not a franchise picture, original, a great original teen coming of age comedy. Um, you know, in 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 one way, shape, or form, it's almost in every category. Yeah, uh, and I think rightfully so. Uh, I said that you know when when it was the LAOFC Weekly Movie of the Month. Yeah, I said it's the LAOFC Movie of the Month that I'll be talking about all through the year, and I will. 
I'll continue to. So it was good to see. Did you see? That. Did you see Booksmart? I didn't, and I really wanted to, but I just couldn't make the screening. So I will at some point for sure. Yeah, I think you know one of the things that stick sticks out to me when I was looking through this list is you know outside of like the indie movies and Booksmart, I think this is this says something. This is a very mainstream re- list. You know, mm-hmm. this is a lot of studios showing the power that they have, right. you know, and there's very few outside of the, again, outside of the indie world, where we, we, we do an indie pick, where there's smaller movies. And even there, I would argue that two of, two of, the, four, of the five are ones that have been really widely pushed, right. you know? Um, for me, you know, it was kind of shocking to not have a Hotel Mumbai on this list because I'm sure you didn't see it. I'm sure you didn't see it, you know. And and this is the problem with marketing nowadays and this oversaturation of the marketplace is that there's these great little films that come out, whether it's horror movies or dramas or comedies, that just fly underneath the radar. Um, Long Shot is, right. is 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 one of the few. Really funny mainstream comedies that I know you saw. Did you see it? Mm-mm. No. So you see, and well, yeah, I mean, and, I mostly cover genre though. But but I think but I think just with that being said, I think a lot of people are not being able to see these movies. Well, that's true because the, a lot of the smaller films only offer one or two screenings, and uh, the, the larger ones are like you know five, ten screenings that but, you can attend. So that makes it difficult. But outside of screenings. There's something really interesting that's happening this summer that that didn't happen last summer. And I had thought that the trend was going to carry over because last summer what we did see is a really big surge in the independent studio. Uh, the neons of the world, the A24s. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we saw a lot of documentaries, uh, uh, RBG. Um, won't you be my neighbor? Um, and then there were three identical strangers. Three identical that was strangers, excellent. Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And each of those movies, uh, well, I championed them because they were they were feeding into the machine. Like I was saying, see, look what happens. Yes, you have your ten poles, but without these other smaller pictures, these pictures are helping us. Like get over, like just really get over that that peak. They really feed into the box office, and to me. It was a sign. I looked at it as a sign of hope that there is variety. People always claim, like they, they complain, eh, all every movie is the same. And last year was proving that people were going to smaller films. Again, I was hoping the trend was going to follow, come into this year, and it hasn't. Mm-hmm. It hasn't at all. Like I don't know why a book smart. Um, isn't doing far better. Uh, is it because of the marketing? I don't know why Late Night, which is one of the smart, it's a very smartly written film, and Emma Thompson's performance in there is Academy Award worthy. I don't understand because it's the variety that people are clamoring for, but they're not. They're 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 staying away in droves instead of going in droves, and to me, it's sad. Because I don't want that middle movie to go away. When you're tired of the tent poles and you've seen them already, there's no reason not to have that movie-going experience with Booksmart. Because when I saw it in a very nice crowded theater, the laughter was 
It was great. It was it was it was riotous. It was fun to watch. People walked out of the theater feeling good because they were laughing at a really good movie. Yeah, it's sad to me. It really yeah. is. I mean, and I also you know, um, Rocket Man is a movie that I loved, and um, you know, Taron I think is just phenomenal. I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, still, I don't know if there's going to be anyone who can, who's going to top him this year so far. There hasn't been since it's come. Out. Yeah, that was quite a performance, and he did his own singing, right? Yes. Right. Amazing. So, so yeah. I mean, it, it's just remarkable, you know. But even a movie like that. You know, when it comes to, you know, kind of tying everything together, what we've been talking about in this show and just themes, um, the box office return on that has not been as good as they hoped for. Mm. You know, which makes me question some of these other releases, um, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I was just going to say, I wonder how that's going to do. Yeah, is that going to make less than Rocket Man or more than Rocket Man? Because again, we're going to see it, right? The yeah. people in LA and maybe the people in. The, the major marketplaces, but are the people in the rest of the country going to go see that? Mm, just yeah. like, were they going to see Rocket Man? Like, it's mm-hmm. just kind of like the audience is kind of very pick and choose. And uh, I think it ties into a really big problem that we have right now. And it isn't because of variety necessarily. Yes, we are getting a ton of superhero pictures. Uh, you said it at the top Disney. You know, Disney's just pulling in everything, but there have been features out this year that have been that have been really good and different. Um, I think the only genre that's that 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 hasn't too much been affected by it all is horror. Oh horror yeah, is horror on, is like horror on is the on rise. A, a horror is on a crest right now, and it's really riding a spectacular wave because a horror movie doesn't have to make four hundred million dollars. So it can make 50, 60, 70 million and still be considered a hit and people are going to like it. But again, you are it, it is genre specific. I really do wish that that people would would um go out to the movies and see other stuff. Uh, you know the thing what sticks out to me, you know, did now looking at it and now having this conversation with you guys is um we got to wrap up soon, but I just want to make this point and then we'll wrap up. Um the thing is is that the best movie category, for example, there are three superhero movies in that category. Right. Three of them. There's Shazam, there's Captain Marvel, and there's Avengers Endgame, all of which um, you know, are, are huge, big budget movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the smallest film in that is Apollo 11, followed by Booksmart, and then I think everything else in there probably has a budget of at least $50 million and mm-hmm. above. Yeah, and I was really happy to see Apollo 11 make it, too, because the movie, like, that is a legitimate found footage movie. Like, like that was a happy accident. And I know that it's currently been broadcast on CNN, because it was a CNN picture, and it's really funny to see some of the social media going, oh my god, I just saw this Apollo 11 on CNN, and I'm like, oh, well, that's freaking great, but, like, you really missed, if you thought it was great there, you should have seen that in IMAX, mm. where... It was stunning, and I felt like I was there. But I'm glad to see that Apollo 11 made it because that really is a true independent movie. Yeah, you know. But you're right. Three of them are. <laughs> three of them are, are, are. We got three superhero movies. John Wick. Uh, I am glad to see that the Long Shot got some love, and obviously Rocket Man and Toy Story 4. You know, th- those are everything on this list. I think are. 
really good movies to go watch and see. We should announce the top. We have to run, wrap up oh, though, unfortunately. Okay. So we'll, 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 we'll see them. We'll see them uh, online. You can see them on Twitter on L A O F C S. So you can go see them right now. Um, and uh, that's it for the show this week. Thank you so much, uh, Stacy. So where can we find you on social media? Uh, well, Stacy Lane Wilson on Instagram, and same on Facebook. Right. Uh, you can find me on social media at. At Dimitri Panos, you can find me here on Popcorn Talk Networks, Meet the Movie Press, an occasional guest here when I'm invited, and it's an honor to be so on LAOFCS Weekly. Stay tuned to Popcorn Talk, too, because working on a couple of other fun shows that I think you as movie fans are going to love. And you can find me at WeLiveEntertainment.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the other Scott M. Uh, go ahead, give us a like on Twitter and uh, share and retweet some of these nominations. We're, we're very excited about this. And uh, we look forward to revealing the winners on Monday. So have a great weekend, everyone, and see you next week. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.